Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to a very special best of the Outdoor Line. We've cobbled together some of our and hopefully your favorite segments from throughout the past year. We'll be back next week with regular live programming, but for right now, enjoy this best of the Outdoor Line. Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports Station and at seattlesports.com. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Rain Marine Electronics, and Les Schwab Tires. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. So, to say I'm fired up about this event, dude, I mean, this, this, this brings together two of my absolute passions in life. One of them is salmon fishing in Puget Sound, okay, and Husky football. Get to bring them both together in the inaugural dog derby. And here to tell us all about it is none other than UW quarterback, Sam Heward. What's up, Sammy? Morning, Sam. Morning, buddy. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? We're doing good. You're, are you working on your fishing fundamentals? Are you, are you working on that hook set and everything? What are you, what are you working on, buddy? Uh, hopefully you're getting ready for the oh, big yeah, derby in watching, July. I've been watching some YouTube videos, you know, you trying to get dialed in to go win this thing. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking no, forward to it. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. All my teammates are fired up. We've all been talking about it already. Um, you know, even though it's not for a couple more months, you know, all the guys – found out about it this past week have all been you know talking to me about it telling me asking me all these questions i'm like you know we're just gonna go have a lot of fun we're gonna go enjoy it and it'll be a great event well you know a little bit of what to expect you've been on the boat a couple times with with your dad damon and you know chasing some salmon and some crab around puget sound so just to get that part of it going again is going to be a kick in the pants but um the port of everett has opened up a whole big dock location and and uh almost uh you know and and almost an event uh float for us as well so this this is going to happen on the on the 16th of july which is right in the heart of our chinook season out there and it's what i'm excited about is the chance for the fishing community to kind of express their support for the uw football program but also that the football program is willing to, you know, jump in a few boats and, and spend some time with, you know, some of their fans is, is, you know, that's really what I'm fired up about, Sam. Yeah, no, me too. And I think, you know, with the whole new NIL thing, you know, I was really looking for ideas um, to kind of do something that, you know, really symbolize and represent something that's unique to the Northwest. And, you know, what's, what's more Northwest than a good old salmon derby. And, you know, I know I'm excited. Like I said, my teammates and I are excited. This will be a great event. Um, I feel like, you know, we really wanted to do this the right way. And thanks to you, Captain Tom, and a lot of people associated with UW and Steinberg Sports, who's helping me run this event. You know, it's good. we're going to do this the right way, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I know you get a bunch of questions about NIL, and that's name, image, likeness. So this this event is going to raise some money for Husky Football NIL, and that's the website, huskyfootballnil.com. How does that benefit and help out today's student-athletes, Sam? Yeah, you know, obviously the whole NIL landscape has really changed college football, um, you know, whether that's in recruiting or just players being able to 
to make money off their name, image, and likeness, um, you know. But really, you know, for me and, you know, learning about this whole NIL thing, you know, it's not just an opportunity to, to make money for myself, um, but also to help give back to the community and put on cool events like this. Um, so something alongside with the NIL, I also created um, the Sam Heward Foundation, um, which is a little bit to help give that to give back to the community, you know, that I know and love. And, you know, a couple things how I can, you know, give back is just to local charities. Um, just started this this uh, foundation a couple weeks ago, so still kind of trying to figure out um, what all I'm going to do with it. But also another thing that I can do is help give back to some of my teammates as well. You know, obviously playing the quarterback position, we, we have the spotlight on us most of the time. And it's a lot easier, you know, for, for quarterbacks to, to kind of benefit from the NIL opportunity. So for me to be able to help do events, um, put together, you know, a salmon derby and and be able to invite some of my teammates as well to you know give them some love and to help them you know benefit from the name image like this also is you know super important to me and so you know I'm excited with the whole NIL thing I'm excited you know what's to come with it and all the cool things that I can do to help get back to the community but also you know use this as an opportunity to you know grow a grow a foundation for myself and and also build up you know my name and help and and start trying to you know make some money off it and do some really cool things in the community. Well, the first event is we're just limiting it to twenty boats this first time out. So I, I think that's and, I, and I'm pretty sure we're pretty close to halfway there to sign up for this event. We'll give this out a couple times. Go to go to huskyfootballnil.com. Um, I tell you what, we're, we're, we've got uh, UW quarterback Sam Heward on the line here this morning. And Sammy, you had one heck of a spring game last Saturday. It was your first outing, if you will, in the new Kalen DeBoer offense. Tell us a little bit about your new head coach, Kalen DeBoer, how he's fitting in with the squad, and what you think of the offense. Yeah, you know, I couldn't be more fired up when I heard the news about hiring Coach DeBoer. Um, I didn't know too much about him when I, you know, dug in and did some research and, and learned more about him. I, I was just extremely fired up. Um, I knew Jake Hayner a little bit when he was at UW before he transferred to Fresno, and, you know, I know he loved that offense, and he really lit it up. And, you know, I have I have nothing but a ton of respect for Coach DeBoer. I've had some just great conversations with him since he got here. And, you know, if there's one word that I could use to describe him, just super genuine. And he loves football, and he's pushing us every day. This whole staff, they really are pushing us. And it was a great spring. It's been a great, you know, past couple months ever since they got there through winter workouts and now through spring ball. And just the energy with this team, it's really exciting. You know, there's a hunger. There's an excitement for for this upcoming season because, you know, we have a lot to prove from, from last year. And, you know, I think that we've really put that behind us and we're moving forward and the best days for Husky football are ahead. And, and I couldn't be more excited with, with Coach DeBoer leading our team and, and for what's to come with Husky football. We're excited to watch you this next year, buddy. And of course, we're big fans of your dad and, and Brock as well. But we need to run you through some fishing terminology ahead of this big derby here because this is a big deal coming up. So, you know, you, no you need to talk to the guys. I mean, you need to know what a downrigger is, okay? And a flasher. Now, I'm sure you guys have flashers in the stands when you guys are, are playing, but this is a, a salmon-attracting device, okay, that the guys put down to, to attract the salmon spoon. Fish on, you know, when you, it's almost like scoring a touchdown. You get a fish on, you yell fish on, everybody puts their hands in the air like a touchdown. Yep, yep. But you need to run this run this by some of the guys, get them going, so they don't look like uh, complete. Uh, well, we're the ones that will look like the morons out there. We want you guys to look good out there on the water, and I'm sure you will. But this is a super cool event. I know Tom is just jacked up for this. I wish I was going to be there for this event. It's going to be 
they're going to be awesome. And uh, Tom and the gang there, the, the rest of the boaters are going to get you guys into some salmon because there's there's some good kings running through that time of year out in the Puget Sound, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be great. I mean, like I said, you know, my, my teammates have all been coming up to me. They're like uh, a couple from other different parts of the country, and they're like, oh, I've never been salmon fishing before. And they're like, gosh, i got to, you know, start doing my research and doing my homework and get ready for this event. So, <laughs> I love I mean, it. We're all – we're all excited. We'll be dialed in. And, um, you know, like you said, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, we could, w- w- you and I and your dad may get out and, you know, cheat just a little bit, right? We'll just, you know, practice. Maybe, maybe not necessarily cheating. We're just going to drill, no, right? It's not yeah. cheating. Cheating. Yeah. No, 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 no it's not, not cheating. Just, cheating. Just, you know, no, we're, no, we're, we'll, we'll be doing, we'll be, yeah. yeah, we'll be practicing, doing research. Right. Research. Yeah. That's yes. what I meant to say. Yeah. And, and, you yeah. know, <laughs> it was important there to your go. dad that, that you're, that you're fishing on a 30 foot boat because, your dad said there, there's something important about what. Why is 30 feet so important to a quarterback? 30 feet. Yeah. What's 30 feet? Come on, man. It's a first down. It's pocket, 10 yards. It's it's 10 yards, dude. Come on. You got. You got that. You got the. You got just so much <laughs> space around you. You got to get 30 feet for what the first down. So that's what we got to do. We got to move the ball. We got to go catch some salmon. Let's roll. <laughs> oh man, you're going under your bus. You're under the bus when your dad hears this. That's for mm-hmm. sure. It took you that long for 30 feet, buddy. <laughs> no, man. I look forward to having you on the boat, Sam Heward. We appreciate it. The event is the first annual, the inaugural Dog Derby, July 16th, 2020, at the Port of Everett. Jump on to Husky Football nil.com hit the events tab jump on this event we're limiting it 20 boats first time out sammy can't wait to get you out in the boat again dude we're gonna get that rod of yours good and bent buddy yeah i can't wait to get out there thank you so much for for all your help with this and looking forward to it. it'll it be a lot of fun yeah thank no you. doubt See thank, you, buddy. thanks for your thanks time for today buddy. thanks a lot man. sam later sammy of course thank you Have right, going, guys. take care Bye. you're listening to the best of the outdoor line seattle sports station 710 and the seattle sports app you're listening to the best of the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Here's a great interview from a while back that I think you're going to love. Get in, sit down, hold on, and listen up. You're in the RenaissanceMarineGroup.com's wheelhouse, brought to you by Weldcraft, Duckworth, and Northwest Boats. Well, it's always a treat when we get a, this gentleman in our wheelhouse every now and then, Joey. And with the number of salmon heading over Bonneville right now, it's only right that we have angling icon Buzz Ramsey on the show. Good morning. Good Mr. morning, Ramsey. Buzz. You got to be excited Hi, about what's happening down there on the Columbia. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what was it? Uh, Thirteen thousand fish went over here. Not here. Uh, just. Last, yeah, earlier this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's beating the tar yeah. out of the ten-year average right now, and it just it it just goes to show what the Columbia is capable of if you just give this crick a chance. You know, absolutely, <laughs> that's really true. Yeah, hey, it's hey. Uh, you know what a lot of people don't realize is that seventy percent of the remaining habitat in the Columbia Basin is in the Snake River watershed. And yeah, that's incredible. Do these springers? Does the bite change a little bit when they get over Bonneville? It seems like below Bonneville, it's herring, 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 and more herring. When they, The second they cross Bonneville, though, it seems like they get on some different stuff. You can hit them with plugs, with prawn spinners, with all kinds of goofy stuff, super baits. Um, what's kind of the drill once they cross Bonneville and get into Wind and Drano and, and even in the main stem of the Columbia up there, Buzzy? Well, of course, of course you can catch them on herring up here. Blood cut or whole herring, uh, people do use that occasionally, but but of course it does begin to change. I think some of that's because the water is beginning to warm, and uh, you know the fish uh, the fish team seem to respond to other other things, you know, scent, and uh, 
And, of course, prawns being a good one, there's even a fairly good egg bite up this way. And, of course, lures of all types work. But, of course, the, the dominant method at Drano in the wind is a pro troll with a, with a prawn spinner. And that, that, uh, that seems to dominate uh, the fishery these days. So, yeah. Yeah, it does. It does change a little bit. Some of it, I think, is because of slower trolling speeds. Um, people tend to troll a little slower up here, perhaps. Um, uh, with with the pro troll, you know, the pro troll, the, the one that's popular, of course, is the one that has a fin on it that you can troll slower. And uh, so, yeah. Well, There's a lot of pro trolls going around uh, <laughs> Drano. Yeah. Holy well, and, I and mean, the, it, it, the, like a toilet bowl going around there with the, all those pro trolls that's what, around. That's exactly how they describe the, you know, the, that whole Drano Lake deal. It's a, if, if, if you haven't been down to the home valley and experienced either one of these two terminal fisheries, the Drano is, is a tighter fishery in that it's the, the fish come in and you're, you're restricted to kind of fishing the Drano Lake portion, which is underneath a railroad trestle, and, and it's a tight circle, guys, pulling it. More anglers prefer the wind, the wind River, which is kind of an open, more open river mouth. You can't fish the main stem. You're, you're cut off by a buoy line out there. But, Buzz, guys will go out and hang out on that buoy line where, where those Chinook that are possibly headed upriver will kind of dip in a little bit. Tell us a little bit about how you would fish that, uh, that little more open t- uh, character of that Wind River um, area on the Columbia River. Well, it kind of depends on flows, and of course, the spring runoff is just just we're just the beginnings of the spring runoff. So, so if the water if the Columbia's high and somewhat dirty, uh, it, it'll crowd that fishery in towards the shore, the Washington shore more. But if the river is uh, stays, you know, the weather stays cool, then. Uh, then of course, either it's clear all the way out, and uh, and guys will, like you say, hug that that uh, that deadline out there, which is a buoy line out there, a suspended buoy. So it's actually a bubble fishery at that in that area. And generally speaking, the guys will troll downstream out by the buoy line, and then they'll make a turn. Uh, there's a little island out there, and they'll make a turn. A lot of them will make a turn before they get to that island, and they'll come in and they'll troll upstream. To, uh, reasonably close to the shoreline uh of course that can change depending on river height but that's the kind of the general rule and uh and yeah the pro troll thing is a big deal there but you can catch them trailing plugs like a maglip or a quick fish or whatever and uh, uh even a, even the old wiggle wart probably still works <laughs> buzz you mentioned eggs um talk a little bit about how are guys fishing eggs in drano or in wind well, generally speaking, the, uh, if if you're talking the wind, there's a you know the channel that comes out from the mouth of the wind. You know, you come out of the wind and you kind of go downstream from when you go underneath the railroad bridge. You go downstream and then you jut back out. That's kind of the, there's kind of a narrowing channel there. There's a lot of silt in there these days, so there's a there, but there is a deep slot through there. And then once you get out to where you're looking right out the Columbia, there's kind of a, the old channel kind of juts on out there, and it's a little deeper than the surrounding waters. And guys will anchor alongside that channel and cast into it with bobbers on a, a slip bobber, you know, to where to where it's uh, your bait is suspended maybe a foot or two above bottom, and so you set your bobber stop. So you know, generally out there, it's it can be 18 foot or so, depending on the height of the Columbia. And uh, and you fish eggs right there. You know, most guys will anchor up and they'll cast. As far as uh, 
course, the barber goes down, you got to set the hook, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of guys will tag that barber. They'll use eggs with it, but they'll ta- they'll also maybe, the fish can sometimes be finicky. They'll they'll hang a prawn on there, or they'll hang a, a sardine fillet on there or something, add a little something extra to it sometimes. Drano Lake, I mean, you could catch them anywhere in there on a barber, but the the arm that juts up towards the hatchery, towards the deadline up the, up the arm of the Little White Salmon River, that channel that comes out there just before it enters the main lake, they'll they'll sit along in there and bobber fish. In fact, there's a few people been doing it already, and uh, they'll bobber fish mostly eggs, but like I say, they'll sometimes tip it with other other uh, baits, and uh, and they'll just sit there. And of course, if you have a if you have a two rod endorsement, you can you can fish two rods. So guys will line up those bobbers and uh, wait for those fish to pull them down. <laughs> is that is the, does the egg fishery kind of get rolling a little bit later once those fish are kind of staging? They've been in there for a little while. Seems like well, as the water warms, the the egg bite gets better. But I saw a guy catch one the other day down there uh, on eggs, and uh, so yeah, they're doing it uh, over by the mouth of the. Now I'm hearing this from guys. I, I didn't get a chance to go over. I haven't got a chance to go over and try it from shore. But some of the guys from shore are casting out with a weight, you know, a sinker, maybe, I don't know, five ounces or whatever, and and then they've got a liter of maybe three foot to a bobber, and then just above the bobber, they got a two-hook set up with a, with a prawn, mm-hmm. and they're catching mm-hmm. them doing that, I hear. So, I, like I say, I haven't tried that yet, so I'm... I'm getting this, uh, you know, secondhand. <laughs> Guys figured that get, out, though. That, that, that barber keeps that prawn up off the bottom. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a handy little trick there for Plunkin. You mentioned the 70% of the habitat is up in that Snake River drainage. Um, of course, you're all over this Snake River dam removal thing and, uh, and on top of it and have all the intel on it. Where, where are we sitting with this right now? What are you hearing about this, this, uh, this move to, re- to get those, those dams out of there, Buzz? Well, here's the scoop, right? You know, every, every since the, the fish in the upper basin were listed under the Endangered Species Act, the, uh, the, and the federal government had to come up with a recovery plan, every recovery plan since the, mid, the mid-'90s has been challenged in court because they don't. It doesn't meet what's needed to recover the salmon, and so sport fishing groups, uh, environmentalists, and tribal members uh, sue the federal government, sue the plan. We win every time we've won with every administration, and then the federal government. And then it's the federal government's responsibility to come up with a new plan that hopefully models out for recovery. But they never do. And so, in a large way, that's why our fishing seasons are so restricted on the Columbia, because we can't get a plan that really models out for recovery. And, of course, I would say, and others would say, we're not going to get one that models out unless we breach those dams. So, so right now, uh, we've agreed with the court to hold off on our suit, on the latest plan, until, I think it's July, and... Uh, and that is giving time for um, for our governor in Washington and uh, and Patty Murray to study the issue and try to come up with some mitigation ideas to to uh, uh, try to keep everybody whole. This new thing, and what opened my eyes, and I think that of a lot of people, was when uh, when uh, Mike Simpson. 
uh, a congressman from Idaho came up with a plan and and decided that his main focus was going to be not only breach the dams to recover the salmon, but keep everybody whole. Everybody that might be affected by removing those dams would be kept whole. And uh, he, his proposal, thirty over $30 billion proposal, was to keep everybody whole, drown the region really with money, and... Uh, and and recover salmon at the same time. So we're kind of waiting on this uh, this uh, review, if you will, and then we'll see what the political winds do. But uh, but you know, I think I don't know how many of our listeners really understand the diff- what's going on. It's it's not that any one dam is so bad. It's a cumulative effect of eight dams between the ocean and where 70% of the remaining habitat in the Columbia Basin is in the Snake River watershed. You'll hear the rest of this interview after the break right here on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710, Seattle Sports app. From the shining shores of Puget Sound to your radio, this is the Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station. And now here's the conclusion of the interview right here on the best of the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710, Seattle Sports app. We, we were able to spend a little time on this topic, Buzz, you and I, and, and we should mention we're talking with angling icon Buzz Ramsey today, and the topic on the table is, is, is the proposal to remove the four dams on the lower Snake River. So to this point, we've spent, in, in, in your words, we've spent over $19 billion on extinction, okay? Uh, Representative Simpson's proposal states that we we need to spend 30 billion on removal and mitigation for some of the economic impact of these four dams. Now we're talking about kind of a, a, a tripod of, of issues here. And number one is hydropower. Number two is irrigation and number three is transportation. Right now it's, it's not really an overstatement to say that the breadbasket of Eastern Washington are that those dry and, and irrigated farmlands in the southeast corner of the state, Buzz. And right now that that irrigation is is a big deal and that and, and then once that once those crops are harvested, the transportation of sending these down the river is definitely going to be an issue. So by coming to the table and if all the industries do with with, you know, in, in good faith come to the table, they have a chance to really be part of the solution instead of fighting um, and, and maintaining what eventually is going to come down maybe as a court order once the you know these these runs fall a little bit farther so this Simpson 2.0 plan that and I believe it's going to come out potentially later this month that's going to be reviewed by you know by the politicians currently in office right now may indeed have what we need to move forward what what's your anticipation of what you're going to see when this latest report comes out later in later uh, this summer well, it's hard to really know, but a lot of a lot of our political leaders on both sides of the aisle uh, really have. I mean, after you know, since the mid '90s, these fish have been on the Endangered Species Act. They're worse off now than they were then, uh, especially the wild stocks. But the dams, the dams don't differentiate wild from hatchery. They grind them all up. So, so, and I say all. I mean, all that go through the powerhouse, about ten to twelve percent get ground up at each dam, and so. You multiply that times eight dams, and you can see that uh, why we're, why our fisheries are so restricted and why salmon are in trouble. Um, I don't know what they're going to come up with. I the hope is, the thought is that this this is going to happen. It's either going to happen with cooperative partners, 
uh, being all that are everyone that's involved, or likely down the road, uh, a suit brought forward is going to result in a judge uh, saying these dams got to go. And these four dams on the Lower Snake River, which is in eastern Washington, these four dams got to go, and uh, and then that risks those uh, players uh, that are that are dependent on the the benefits of of the Lower Snake River hydro system being being left out in the cold, and so. People need to get on board with this. Uh, in my mind, it's going to happen. Uh, it's just a matter of when. And uh, and if we want to recover salmon to abundance, uh, it's something that needs to happen. Quickly, I, too. You know, we need to get it yeah, done well, quickly. Because we do. And, and the issue is, you, Buzz, when we were talking earlier this week, you mentioned that the, the, the removal of these dams could result in something along the productivity of what the the Hanford Reach on, on the which is the last free flowing stretch of the Columbia that cranks out in excess of a million upriver brights every year. If we restore this 140 miles of free flowing snake, we would see that in addition. I mean, we're we're looking at the potential to more than double the returns of hatchery and wild steelhead, along with spring and spring and summer chinook in 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 this stretch. I. You you can't ignore these facts. You cannot ignore yeah. these facts. Plus, yeah, the the spring chinook run would could could conceivably double or more. I mean, we could on a good ocean, good flow, good ocean year with those four fewer impacts of four fewer dams. They'll still have to go through the four dams in Lower Columbia. That's accepted. Um, but the spring chinook run could uh, could range between you know a, a half to one million fish a year with a full fishing season. Uh, and of course, spring chinook, steelhead, they they're going in those upper high elevation tributaries. But but by breaching those dams, you're freeing up 140 miles of the Lower Snake River, where fall salmon could recolonize that whole stretch. It would be a more a larger area in miles than the Hanford reaches now. So the opportunity with fall chinook is unbelievable. Um, uh, you know, and and the the fall chinook and the snake. There are some fall chinook and the snake, and I think ocean abundance on those is, you know, the Hanford Reach. They only have to pass four dams. Right. Those that the, the, those fish that little stretch will put a million plus fish in the ocean. Not you know, of course, after harvest, there's not as many come back. But the Snake River currently might put fifty thousand in the ocean. So, but that Snake River has a potential, a lower Snake River, to produce more fish than the Hanford Reach ultimately. And so, we're looking at a huge, huge project, a restoration project as far as fish. It would change the entire fishing on the entire west coast of North America, all the way to the Gulf of Alaska, where a lot of these fish go. It would change the fishery dramatically and instead right now if we stay on the current path we're going to waste a whole lot more money trying to recover salmon and not get there when you look at the total mortalities on the on the columbia river you add up predatory fish you add up bird predation pinnipeds and human fisheries none of them amount to half of the mortality caused by the dams on the columbia river it's only by removing these dams that we are really only going to gain in, in, in salmon in abundance here in the Pacific Northwest. Buzz, I, I can't thank you for enough for your leadership on this. And you out, you have an article coming out shortly in the Salmon Steelhead Journal um, that, that outlines some of this. I, I believe it's entitled Fishing for Snake River Dam Removal. Well, 
I'll let my editor figure that out. <laughs> that's what's on my draft okay. that I uh, shared with you in confidence. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, that that article will will run here in an upcoming issue of Salmon and Steelhead Journal, and it outlines this, and it also answers a lot of the questions about mitigating, how to mitigate, and how big of a deal some of these uh, reasons for, you know, the opposition, you know, states in their their argument against dam breaching, which if we don't breach these dams, these fish are marching towards extinction. Yeah, we may have a few years where it bumps up, like this one, but, but uh, in fact, real quick, you remember, Tom, all of you guys remember, when... In the mid-90s, the entire upriver-bound run of Spring Chinook was less than 11,000 fish. Mm-hmm. And nature threw us a bone. We had huge snowpack, big runoff, a lot of water going over the top of the dam, which is safe passage for juvenile fish going out. And we, they met super good ocean conditions. And by 2001, we had 390,000 Spring Chinook past Bonneville Dam. These fish just need a fighting chance, and they can recover quickly. Let's all keep that in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's no question about it. And, you, and, the, and the combined electrical output of the Snake River dams is less that is between three to five percent of the total demand here in Washington. Okay, we're talking about yeah, irrig- that's not worth. It's a not bunch of these it, salmon going extinct. It, so we're talking about irrigation and transportation. We need to address those issues and and potentially get these Snake River dams out. Buzz Ramsey, we cannot again thank you enough for your leadership on this issue, and uh, and we'll be in touch. We're going to count on you being in the boat down. Uh, see you, Buoy Ten. Yeah, Buzz. see you, Buoy Ten, in August, buddy. Thank you, Buzz. I can't, I can't wait, my fishy friends. We're <laughs> gonna have fun. Go catch some of those springers, buddy. <laughs> Okay. All right. See you guys. Have a great weekend. See you, man. All right, Buzz. Thank you so much, man. You're listening to the best of the outdoor line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Here's a great interview from a while back that I think you're going to love. From the shining shores of Puget Sound to your radio, this is the Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station. Welcome to the best of the outdoor line. Here's one of our favorite segments from our archives. Something we need to see a lot less of is 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 plastics. And you shocked me, Robbo, when you when you said next year I'm not sending water bottles up. I, I'm just I'm not, done, man. Yeah, I ship 25 just... cases every summer to Alaska, and we were even gonna 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 nix say put the ixnay on the whole thing this summer. We just put right. a big water jug on the boat, like yeah. a pumper, yeah, and some cups. You want some water? Go pump some water. You know, we don't need to be throwing these bottles away every day, and they only drink half the bottle anyway. Yeah, yeah I know, and then throw the, know? throw the dog on thing yeah. away. So really, I, I wasn't really aware of the depth of this problem until I, until I started talking to John O'Keefe of Yamaha. John is is a government relations director for Yamaha Outboards, and, and John O'Keefe joining us now. Good morning, John. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Good morning. Hey, Good morning, John. Thanks, for, thanks John. thanks for jumping in with us, and uh, I'm just going to let you run down some of the stats that we talked about earlier this week, John, when we talked about this problem. The the ever-increasing issue of plastics in our oceans is, is shocking. So tell us where we're at now and where we're heading with regard to this issue, John. Well, before I begin, I'd like to uh, uh, express our, our hearts go out to those uh, that have been affected by the wildfires uh, in Washington and out west, um, and also say a heartfelt thank you to the brave men and women that are, are fighting these fires. They truly are uh, the embodiment of the word heroes. So um, our thoughts are with y'all, uh, and hopefully this gets 
under control sometime soon. Yeah, it's it, well, it's pretty much game over since the last rain we had, John. But you know, I I I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. I absolutely could not agree with you more. So so right now, you have some data that expresses the amount of plastics in the ocean with the biomass of fish in our oceans, and 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 some of these numbers are absolutely shocking. Yes, yes. So uh, every year, it is estimated that there are. 8 million metric tons of plastics that enter our oceans. Um, And at currently, we are looking at approximately one pound of plastic for every three pounds of fish. That's just out of control. That's amazing. And if we do not get this under control immediately... Uh, by 2050, it is estimated that that will be one pound of plastic per one pound of fish, which I think we can all agree the oceans will be dead long before it gets to a one-to-one ratio. So, so a lot of this plastic that, that we're seeing, you you've, you mentioned to me a couple different functions that, that send it, you know, down in the water. Well, just like I said, I mean, you mentioned our wildfires and you mentioned, you know, and I came back at you and mentioned the rain. That's a good thing and a bad thing because our first rains after a while um, provoke something called the first flush phenomena where, where plastics down stored storm drains and everything from parking lots and everything else. And it's not, it's not just, you know, large plastic bags or, or water bottles, but it's the microplastics that are, that are a major issue as well. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, it, it, the phenomenon is basically you could as you see plastics in your Walmart parking lot. Um, you know, that first big rain of, of the summer is going to wash everything into the storm drains. And from there, it's, it's just a, a matter of time be, before what you saw in the parking lot could be floating in in the bay and in, in the sound uh, and make it makes it make its way out to the ocean it's uh, it, it really is not it, it's not difficult to f- follow the path um, and, yeah, and it's John. staggering. It is staggering. Some of the numbers that, that I've been clued into, 175 million straws per year, per day, excuse per day. me, per day per in day. the U.S. that all end up in the environment. And what happens with these large plastics? They end up in the storm drain, they end up in the creek, they end up wherever they end up. And then they end up in the water and they get ground down. Yep. And you mentioned the word microplastics. As these things get ground down into just uh, to the molecular level almost, they get ingested. Yep. Uh, by plank, everything in the ocean and right up them, the food chain, and they go right up the food chain, and there's carcinogens in that stuff. Yeah, this stuff's made; it's, it's made out of petroleum, and it affects the reproductive rates. They've already done studies, you know, in Chesapeake Bay, 50% reduction in reproductive rate in the oysters there in the bay with these micro, microplastics, and they're because doing the they're, same they're, thing they're in the filter ocean. feeders, and they yeah, fill up with sure. plastics. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a bad deal. And John, you could probably shed some more light on some of the numbers. Um, I know you've got all the data over there. You work on this stuff all the time, but but share some some of the other data that you have um, that might convince some folks out here in our neck of the woods to, to get on board with this. Stuff, and you know? what can just the average guy do to combat this? Well, you know, it's funny that you uh, 
you brought up the Chesapeake Bay. Um, I actually grew up in Virginia uh, uh, on the Potomac River, which empties into the to the Chesapeake. And they went into a very large campaign in the 90s uh, that was called Save the Bay. And they literally would put placards above storm drains to remind people that this water, what, what goes through this storm drain, is going to empty into the, the Chesapeake Bay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've ever been around Washington, D.C., uh, there are areas of the Potomac River that no one would ever get into uh, because they were so polluted. Well, through the efforts of Potomac River keepers and, and other organizations, the Potomac has gotten so clean that in the southern Potomac, they have over a 1,000 dolphins that call the Potomac home. No kidding. That's interesting. And, um, and it, it it's amazing. And so, you know, you ask what people can do, every little bit helps. Uh, if you see something that's laying on the ground, pick it up. You know, when you, when you go out on the boat, make sure that you've got something that is tied down, that whether it be fishing line or bottles or what have you, something that's got a top on it so that the plastics won't, won't fly out. You, if you we're, see something on the water, pick it up. We're, we're talking um, with John O'Keefe, the senior specialist in government relations for Yamaha. And, and John, I, I think you just, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's an awareness thing. I mean, before you and I started talking about this and Yamaha's right waters project to, to combat this, I, I really, you know, it, it definitely wasn't something that was top of mind. And I mean, you know, we all like to take pot shots at Seattle these days for the knucklehead stuff that's going on in here. And, and they've, and, and the city of Seattle has, has um, basically banned single use straws and, and plastic bags. And now I, I got to kind of eat, eat a little crow here. I, I kind of understand where they're coming from with this, but, but tell us about some of the projects that you guys have got behind. I mean, you made me aware of Mr. Trash Wheel in Baltimore Harbor that's that's catching a lot of this stuff, and, and Yamaha's building a, a trash interceptor collection, collection device for you for to, to fit into storm drains and stuff. So what, what else is Yamaha doing to combat this plastics in our marine environment situation, John? Well, I'll, I'll touch briefly on some of our partners. We, uh, we have been looking for community partners that that do cleanups, that promote healthy waters, et cetera. And, you know, going back to what what can we do, the problem is so large, you know, people tend to get, tend to shy away from, well, I really can't make a difference. Well, one of the groups that we work with is the Keep Tennessee River Beautiful. Uh, and if I told you, if you saw pictures of the Tennessee River, you would think it's one of the most beautiful rivers you've ever seen. Sadly, under the water, it's also one of the most polluted rivers in the world. And it's because of plastic. Uh, But because of groups like Keep Tennessee River Beautiful, just this year alone, during the pandemic, so we've had social distancing, 
They've had to reduce the number of people in the boat. They have collected almost 28,000 pounds of trash to date. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's two days of work. Yeah, two days yeah. of work. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and 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 we've got a local group around here, River Junkies. We've we've had these guys on the radio a, before. Yeah, there's a bunch of groups around here that yeah. do it. And so, it basically, look, if it's ending up on the bank of the river or in the bay, we've already failed. We need to keep it from getting to that point. Look, plastic's not going to go away. We just got to be smarter about making sure it doesn't end up up in our waterways and end up out well, there. You see it floating around in the water out there all the time. But even uh, your behavior at home, Ziploc yep. bags, yep. water bottles, yep. uh, plastic bags at the grocery store. Yep. We don't want it in the landfill either. We got to just cut our well. You our just you look okay. Addiction to this stuff. Look, you know? look at a typical fishing trip. Okay. I'm I'm zipping open a, a package of bait and and there's plastic right there. I'm 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 drinking out of a water bottle. I'm 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 opening up I'm opening up a flasher bag and, and getting a new piece of tackle up. Everything, you know, I'm I'm adding oil to, to you know or checking the oil in my outboard. I'm changing the oil, whatever. You know, there's there's a lot of single use plastic that we really have to you know keep uh, keep an eye on and 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 a lot of this. Some of the plastics we use, John, are recyclable, and some of them aren't. But, yeah, I, I agree. Robbo, you hit the nail on the head. It, it starts with each and every one of us. And uh, I know that, uh, John, you and I had kind of talked about um, Yamaha's involvement in some local projects here on the, on the, on the, on the West Coast as well, and, and that's coming down the pike. But, uh, man, I, I cannot help I, – I cannot thank you enough for bringing this to our attention and spending some time with us on day, today to talk about plastics in our marine environment, John. Well, it's my pleasure, and I, I, I'm sorry that we couldn't be to be in studio together. I, I, I miss uh, miss hanging out with y'all, and what? hopefully next year we'll be able to make a, another trip out to Seattle and uh, spend some time together. We'll get, you, de- get we'll, you guys back on the boat and, and catch some salmon. Yeah, let's do it, John. Let's do it, John. Thank hey, you very re- much. Real he- quick, John, is there a website people can jump on real quick and get some info on this stuff? Okay, so if you go to the Yamaha Outboards website, there is a link for that says sustainability. Okay. Um, that that's kind of the the homepage for Rightwaters. Um, it's still a growing campaign. We're about a year and a half old, uh, and so there there's. Plenty more coming down the pike. It's just that's the initial step. Uh, or if they want to reach out to me personally, uh, my email address is John underscore O'Keefe, and that's O K E E F E at Yamaha motor.com. And I would be happy to answer any questions that they might have. Awesome. He's the Yamaha Senior Specialist for Government Relations, John O'Keefe. John, thank you very much for your time, and thank you for your attention to this vital issue. I mean, it's something that you're going to be hearing a lot more of here on the outdoor line, too. No question about it. John, thank you so much, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. John, thank you. You're listening to the best of the outdoor line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app.